Well, we're continuing our series entitled Reality Check, going through James's book. And remember, when we started, we, we talked about who James was, the half-brother of Jesus, and we spoke about how much of what James is bringing out is actually things from Jesus, but he has his own personality involved with it. And today, the things that we're going to look at is very much one of those situations. And so before we turn to James chapter 4, I want you to turn to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6, starting at verse 19, we're going to read some of Jesus' words that I believe have inspired James's writing. And it's real important that we lay a good foundation for this topic because otherwise it can be misused and it can be misconstrued of what James is trying to present to us. But in Matthew chapter 6, starting at verse 19, Jesus says, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. And so Jesus presents this reality of life that we are to recognize that we are actually storing up treasure. We are investing our lives. And he tells us, don't invest your lives on treasures that can disintegrate, where moths come in, where vermin come in. Don't don't put your treasure on things that are temporary. Store your treasure in things that are heavenly, things that have long-lasting value. And he gives this illustration that if the... your the eye is darkened. If your eye is the lamp of the body and if your eye is healthy, it's full of light. But if it's unhealthy, everything you do will be dark. In other words, how you perceive this truth will determine how well you live your life. If you have a perception that I'm trying to get what I can, secure myself monetarily, and you miss the treasure that is eternal, it will have ramifications for your entire life. And he closes this with saying, you can't serve God and money. And so with that foundation, turn now to James chapter 4. We're going to start at verse 13, chapter 4, and we're going to go to chapter 5, Verse 6. Again, the chapters don't always help us. Sometimes they actually hinder the contextual integrity of what the author is trying to say. And so James starts off, and you might want to buckle up for this morning, okay? This is going to be a lot of fun. 
He starts off, he says, now listen, you who say today or tomorrow we will go to this or that city, spend a year there, carry our on business and make money. Why? You don't even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Thank you, James. Put my low self-esteem to an all-time high. Instead, you ought to say, if it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogant schemes. All such boasting is evil. If anyone then knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it, it is sin for them. And so James is talking about a person who sets their life's plans based on what they can accomplish in a disregard for God and his working in those circumstances. So he's not saying, you know, hey, tomorrow let's go out to lunch. No, no, you should say if the Lord wills tomorrow, let's go out to lunch. Okay, he's not, don't get weird on this, okay? He's trying to present an idea here that we embrace. It's not that you can't make plans. It's where is God in your plans? Is that mindset affecting the things that you do or is it just you doing these things apart from an awareness of God's involvement? In fact, an awareness of your life's dependency on God providing life for you. You don't even know if you're going to be here tomorrow. You're like a mist. Today you're here, tomorrow you're gone. And so James is pushing us to have an observation of how we're living, a reality check if God is a part of our lives or not, if he is a part of the decisions we make or not. And then this one statement that, oh my gosh, we could live on verse 17. If anyone then knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it, it is sin for them. Now, just for a second, think of something that you should be doing, and you're not. Okay, good. Now you know. Okay? It's sin. Well, you know, I really should involve myself with this or, or do this, or I really should, you know, be more uh, loving to my spouse, or I really should be more committed to this area of work, and you're not doing it? Okay. Sin. I love this verse because it is intentional. It's not the sin of commission. It's the sin of omission. It's failing to do what you know you should do. And so if there's something in your mind that you know you should be doing, but you're not doing it, bam. Now you know. Call it what it is. You're missing that. In context, James is pushing this in how you conduct yourself in the area of business. If you know the right thing to do, but you don't do it, it's sin. And in case we miss that point, get ready. He goes on and he says, now listen, you rich people. I love that. Listen, you rich people. Okay, well, let's keep going. Weep and wail because of the misery that is coming on you. Okay, let's stop. You rich people, who is he talking to? You know, are there any rich people here with us this morning? Isn't it weird when you say that? No one wants to raise their hand. No one's going to say, yeah, that's me. I'm a rich person. 
Even when my kids were younger, they would come up and they'd say, you know, Dad, are we rich? No, we're not rich. Now, so-and-so, they're rich. Okay, we're not rich, but they're rich. And so, you know, we don't usually think of ourselves as rich. And I know people who are really well-to-do, and most of them don't think of themselves as rich. Like, oh, no, I'm not rich, but so-and-so is rich. And, And just to give you a little understanding, I mean, the average income Annual income in the United States is $48,000 a year. That's the average. If you make $75,000 or more, you're in the top 20%. So if you're making more than $75,000, you could actually be categorized as rich. Does that make some of you feel better? (laughs) And so, I mean, this idea of rich is those who are more affluent in our minds. I mean, but then you have to look at things in a global context. The average annual income in Haiti, I read, was $650. Now do you feel rich? And the tragic part of that is the cost of living is very similar to what is here. And if that's not enough, in Nepal, there by China, the average annual income is $180 a year. Just to give you a little perspective. Okay, so in that global context, we're all rich. And so no one wants to say, okay, I'm rich. And who's he talking to? He, you know, some people believe that he's not talking to those who are followers of Christ. But I think his whole book is directed towards those who are followers of Christ. I, I think that this passage is just so hard hitting, we don't want it to apply to us. I'd rather it apply to someone who is of, you know, not a faith, a non-believer. And so it makes us feel better if we don't have to identify it. And so I think a lot of the commentators that are saying, oh, this is talking to those who are outside of the church and outside of the world, I think they probably are just like, ooh, ouch, okay, that doesn't belong to me. I don't know. But in my opinion, he's talking to those who are followers of Christ, but who are failing to do something. That's what he's been doing the whole book, right? If... You know, you see your brother in need and you have the means, but you don't help him and you say, be warm, be filled. What good is your faith? A faith that doesn't show itself up is like no faith at all. That's kind of his point throughout this whole passage and all these, all these chapters. It's all about the reality of your faith showing up. And so we're checking how real our faith is. He goes on and he says, Your wealth, in verse 2, has rotted, and moths have eaten your clothes. Your gold and silver are corroded. Their corrosion will testify against you and eat your flesh like fire. Sorry, it just... These are powerful words, and you're like, oh my gosh. And he goes on and he says, You have hoarded wealth in the last days. Look, the wages you failed to pay the workers who mowed your fields are crying out against you. The cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord Almighty. You have lived on earth in luxury and self-indulgence. You have fattened yourself in the day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered the innocent one who was not opposing you. And so James really does give a blast here. He blasts those who are in a position of authority. 
Let's look at a, a big picture to give us clarity of the intent in James's writing and to keep things in the proper narrative. Otherwise, we can really take this some far places. James was the pastor of the church in Jerusalem, a church that was suffering tremendous persecution. We see in the book of Acts that because the persecution was so intense in Jerusalem, people fled and moved all over the countryside to get away from this persecution. People were being put to death for their faith. They wanted to squash this. And this is where it started. James didn't leave. He stayed there. Throughout the book of Acts, we see that collections are taken up for the church in Jerusalem because of the needs that were there. So James is at a place where people are dying for their faith, where people have lost their jobs, their livelihoods. They have been kicked out. Remember, we're talking about a time where most people were slaves. In fact, just about every Jewish person, man, woman, was a slave. They had a job for somebody. They worked for somebody. They were all owned by somebody. And when that person found out that they were a follower of Jesus and there was oppression there, they would either get rid of them or report them. And so now you have families that are without work, without food, without shelter. And then you have some that are more well-to-do. They might own some property. They might have their own business And those are the people, he would say, those are the rich. And what James is doing is really helping us to see that the problem wasn't their wealth. It's what they did or actually didn't do with that wealth. So it's not like, you have money, that's a problem. You better weep and wail. You better be bummed out. You were... I mean, those things that he says is just watch out. He's not trying to say that the wealth is bad, but what you do or don't do with the wealth is what's condemning you. And as he says, wealth has rotted and moths have eaten your clothes. Your gold and silver are corroded. Their corrosion will testify against you. Eat your flesh like fire. You have hoarded wealth in the last days. The ideas of moths eating is... You have clothes that you're not wearing. And so the moths are eating. You guys ever had moths eat your clothes? Had some things, you know, you put on a sweater and there's some holes in it. It's like, huh, where did those come from? I remember I had a suit and there would be these holes. Why? Because I don't wear the suit that often. Weddings. Funerals. And so it would just sit there. And so we have to line our closets with cedar, right? Something to get rid of the moths. The whole idea is you have a surplus that isn't being used. The coins that are corroding, it's, they're sitting there and they're decaying. You've got things that are not being used, so much so that they're just wasting away. And when I read this, I think about my closet. I think about the things I don't wear. 
And, and most of the stuff that is in my closet that I don't wear, I really can't wear anymore. <laughs> and it's not because it's gone out of fashion. It just doesn't fit anymore. But I keep it there because someday, <laughs> someday I'm going to be able to put those pants back on. Not this year because I haven't done anything different, but you know, maybe one of these days I, I will. And so I've got a closet full of things that I don't wear. And, you know, we have cedar chips in the closet so that the moths don't come, but is there maybe something I can do with that? There's something I can do with these things. And money that you're not using. You know, we have a nest egg. Well, some people do. We just have a nest. There's no egg right now. <laughs> and so you have this money that's there in case. In case something happens. And so you start developing these things. And again, it's not that you can't be responsible with your money, but what can you do with what you have? And let me give you an illustration that hopefully we can connect this to. You know, you send your kids to school, and in our case, we send the twins. And they, they go to school, or you go out to somewhere, you know, to a park, and you're going to have lunch. And so... They sit down and they open their little lunch pail or their bag for lunch and then they pull out a bag of chips and one pulls out a bag of chips and the other pulls out a bag of chips and they eat their chips and then they pull out their juice box, you know, their little juicy box and they put the straw in there and then they squirt it at each other and then they drink it. And so then they have the little juice box and then they pull out their sandwich that mom made and they eat their sandwich and they're all sitting there. And then one of them puts their hand in, they pull it out and they have four cookies, four chocolate chip cookies. And the other one puts his hand in the bag, but mom forgot to put the cookies in. And so that's going to go over well, right? All of a sudden, one says, hey, let me have some of your cookies. He says, no, they're mine. What's the word that comes out of your thoughts? What should happen? Share. Share. So, right? Share. Hey, give your brother two cookies. No, they're mine. This is a lesson in economics. You know, I need to preserve because I need sustenance for the rest of this day and I have my nest egg of cookies and you don't get any. No, the right thing to do and the, the parent, if you saw your child actually give those cookies, you would commend them for being kind, for being generous. So, so what do you do when you have a, a family of believers? And it's not just that they don't have cookies, they don't have livelihood. They are in dire need, but you have a nest egg. You have extra cookies. And you do nothing. It's an indictment against you. And that's what James is saying. When he says your gold and silver are corroded. And then he says their corrosion, and it's a different word there. It's actually their poison will testify against you. And he's, he's talking in legal terms here. 
Even later on, he says, they're crying out against you. It's evidence against you. What you are hoarding is evidence against you. Because there's a need and you're not helping. You guys remember there used to be this little track called This Was Your Life, you know, and you die and then you go up there and then God shows a movie of all the things you've done. And the guy's like, no, I'd want to see all that. You know, this is kind of the idea is it's evidence against you. You die and there's a, a video of your closet. Look at these clothes you never wore. Look at this bank account that you never used this money. Well, it was waiting for the right occasion. Yeah, but you waited and you waited and you waited. And while you were waiting, while you were hoarding, there was this need. It's evidence against you. And, and so James is bringing this point strongly that you need to be concerned about more than yourself. Don't lay up for yourself treasures where the moths can eat. The vermin could come. Lay up treasure in heaven. What is the treasure in heaven? It's caring about people doing the work of God that has a longevity far beyond the monetary. It actually affects the lives of the people. And so James is pushing us there and He says in verse 4, the end of verse 4, he says, the cries of the harvester have reached the ears of the Lord Almighty, and that is the Lord of armies. So it's a, a very ominous term. These people, you know, they have people working for them, and they're waiting to pay them because, you know, well, hold on, I'll get you your money, I'll get you your money. In the meantime, they don't have a place to live, they don't have any food. And he says, God's hearing their cries. It's evidence against you because you have the means but are doing nothing. You have lived, verse 5, on earth in luxury and self-indulgence. You have fattened yourselves in the day of slaughter. You know, usually you fatten the calf so that when you fatten the calf, you have more to eat. So you fatten the calf for the day of slaughter, but he's saying you fattened yourself. For the day of slaughter. In other words, this is a sacrifice. You are sacrificing others. You've fattened yourself and you're sacrificing others. You've used people for your advantage. You've set treasure on this earth. You care more about your stuff than you do about the need. And it's testifying against you if you call yourself a follower of Christ. And so, you know, it doesn't take a lot of, you know, unfolding this passage. I don't know. What is James trying to say? If you don't know, I I can't put it any clearer, okay? He's being pretty forward with this intentionally. And so what I want us to do is feel the pressure that God would put on us and respond how God wants you to respond. I'm not here to tell you, and in fact, we're not saying give to us. It's a matter of care about others. And don't just care about yourself. 
Invest your life in others and not just what is suitable for you. There's one more passage I want to turn to. Matthew chapter 25, verses 14 to 30. Jesus speaks and he says, Again, it will be like the kingdom of heaven. What's the kingdom of heaven? Again, it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his wealth to them. To one he gave five bags of gold, to another two bags, and to another one bag, each according to his ability. Then he went on his journey. The man who had received five bags of gold went at once and put his gold to work and gained five bags more. So also the one with two bags of gold gained two more. But the man who had received one bag went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of the servants returned and settled accounts with them. The man who had received five bags of gold brought the other five. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five bags of gold. See, I have gained five more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. The man with two bags of gold also came. Master, he said, you entrusted me with two bags of gold. See, I have gained two more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Then the man who had received one bag of gold came. Master, he said, I knew that you are a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. So I was afraid and went out and hid your gold in the ground. See, here is what belongs to you. His master replied, you wicked, lazy servant. So you knew that I harvest where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed. Well then, you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers so that when I return, I would have received it back with interest. So take the bag of gold from him and give it to the one who has 10 bags. For whoever has will be given more and they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them and throw that worthless servant outside into darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. James is really only echoing what Jesus has said. God has invested life in you, in me. He's invested life for a purpose. That purpose isn't for you to make yourself happy. God's not against happiness, but it's not for you to just get whatever you can and do whatever you want. There is an obligation on us with the life that has been given to us. The obligation is to love even as he loves. And if you do not take this investment that shows up with the things that we have, with the clothes that we have, the finances we have, the time that we have. If you do not take the things that God has invested in you and change the world around you, you're accountable for that negligence. You're accountable for hoarding and keeping it 
to yourselves. And, and so this isn't a, a, a talk about bringing condemnation on you because you're not giving enough. This is an encouragement, or I hope it will be, to let you know that you've been entrusted with something of incredible value. You have the ability to help those around you. And if you don't, but you could. If you know to do good, but you don't. It's sin. You're accountable. You see, we have so many idols in our culture. It could be a way of life. This becomes what I live for. I'm saving my money up to give it to my kids. That usually doesn't work out well. (laughs) Did I hear someone say amen? (laughs) People who have a lot of money and just give it to their kids, it usually doesn't work out well. It doesn't mean you don't take care of your family. But you see, family can become an idol. There are needs around you. Are you going to let them be sacrificed so that you can take care of what's yours? Is that really like Jesus? Or can you actually teach your family what it means to act like Jesus and to give to the point where, you know, this actually is going to hurt and we're going to have to do without some of the things that we might normally want to get, you know, we might have to keep that iPod and not get the new one. We might have to wait an extra year for the new phone. We might have to do these things, but you know what? This is the right thing to do. And we're investing our treasure in heaven, in people, in the things that God wants to do to help those around us. Because James really takes Jesus' words and says, it's about those around you. And so I hope from this time and looking at this hard-hitting passage, I mean, when I was reading this, I'm like, oh, gosh. You know, you got to call it what it is. There's no way, you know, you don't want to say, oh, it's not a big deal. It is a big deal. It's meant to hit hard. It's meant to challenge our lives. It's meant to push us to a place of generosity. And so may we be challenged this morning by James's words. And when he talks about this figurine, you who are rich, may we look and see, where do I have a surplus? You know, about four years ago, we, we did something, and I want to challenge us to do it again because I know I need to. About four years ago, we we challenged us to go through our closets and get rid of everything that we aren't using. Give it to Goodwill if there's another organization that can take it. You find the organization. Don't come up to me and say, where should I get? Here's my clothes. You know, thank you. I'll put it, huh, maybe. Um, Go through your closet. How many shoes... Pairs of shoes do you have that you do not wear? Two. <laughs> I know some of you ladies are going, don't touch my shoes. <laughs> are the moths eating? 
the investment that's meant to be multiplied? Is the rust destroying the things that can be used to help those around you? If you know to do good, but you fail to do it, that investment is like burying it in the ground and it comes to nothing. God says, I've given you a surplus. You see, the surplus that we have isn't for us. The reason you have more than you need is because there are those in need around you. When you've been given more than you need, it's not just so that your needs can be filled. It's because God cares. You know, it's kind of funny. When we don't have what we need, we're real quick to cry to God, aren't we? God, help me. I don't have enough. I need this. I need that. Oh, God, help me. I help me. But when we have more than we need, we don't call out to God. God, help me to give what I have abundance. No, it's always, God, I have, I have needs. Give it to me. When I have too much, huh, cool. Maybe that abundance, we should cry out to God. God, I have more than I need. What can I do with it? How can I be generous? So I honor you and the investment you've made in me. Let's pray. God, I so hate talking about money because it's really not about money. It's about love. It's about generosity. It's about caring. And Lord, you haven't given us structure telling us how to give and what to give and how much to give to those in need. Lord, you have put that investment on us. And to those who give, more will be given. And so if we could just be generous we would receive so much more. Lord, may we be known as a people who are generous, who care enough to sacrifice the surplus, to clean out the closets, and to live lives that reflect you. God, it doesn't mean we can't drive cars or nice cars or have new clothes, but that surplus that just collects dust that the moths eat that the rust takes over Lord don't let that happen in our lives may we be so desiring to hear you say hey take this and do that take that ten bag, five bags of gold and, and invest it here Here's a life that needs help. Here's a community that's doing something. Here's an area where you can contribute that surplus and meet the needs of those around you. I've blessed you so that you can bless others. And people will see me in you if you will do so. Lord, challenge our hearts and may we respond. 
We do pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.